run. Do you think the thing of that song is, did it come up with any other words? <laughs> I didn't I, even notice that before. It's just what were the words? I'm not sure. I can't remember. It's so complicated. <laughs> Who's this show about? <laughs> this episode, clearly we are discussing Batman 66. We're also going to discuss the Green Hornet. Oh, Batman. <laughs> okay. You know, is a bad man. A bad man? Who's the bad man? <laughs> I am Michael and my co-host and co-creator. How's it going, Ron? It's going good. A little bit of a cold, but eh. What it can happens. you do? It's winter, and it is also the 50th anniversary of the Batman 66 show. Can you believe it's been that long? We are getting old, dude. We are getting old, and speaking of getting old, the show's getting old. <laughs> <laughs> there are, okay, so I've had a weird relationship with Batman 66. Uh, for most of us, it was our first introduction. It was either this or Super Friends. In the 70s and 80s, you really didn't have a lot to choose from when it came to superheroes. You had three things, basically. Super Friends, the Batman TV yep. show, and the Superman movie. Marvel was not even in the picture, except maybe as you got older, you'd watch Incredible Hulk. But for me, uh, I would watch this. I would get up, at, I think it was on at 6 o'clock in the morning on 55. And Holy crap. Yeah, I know. I was crazy. Back then, I would get up early. I would watch the back-to-back -back episodes of Batman and uh, then stay and watch G.I. Joe, Thundercats, and then barely make it to school on time. I'd like to literally like run the <laughs> school. Honestly, I think I did the same thing because I, I watched this about that time as well. And this was my intro to Batman as well. So. And then, of course, the 89 movie, which we'll discuss the movies later. As we get out of the TV shows, we're going to start discussing, like, movies with cars and vehicles. And I figured, let's hold off on the movies until we get to that that series. Right. But uh, when the 89 Batman came out, it was so much darker and twisted and weird. All of a sudden, everybody looked at the 66 Batman, and we're like, oh, that is garbage. That is completely ridiculous crap. And uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I even liked it. So... We started poo-pooing on it for a long time, and I don't think it was until the late 90s where we kind of accepted the campiness. Like, it was a comedy. Right. I, I think the fact that Adam West, uh, I'm not a huge Burt Ward fan. He was just a guy who could do the action, and he could play off Adam West well. Batman would not even exist without his comedic timing and, and the way that he would just, like, he would do, like, those Shatner-style pauses, and <laughs> they just kill right. him now. I, I see him as a comedian now, but you're right. The show is starting to really wear on me. I just, oh, man. It just, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get the chance to find any actual full episodes. I watched two, two full episodes, I'll give you that. But there was one in particular I found where it was little highlights, and I watched that whole reel. And as I got maybe five, ten minutes into it, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, I picked up season one at the library. Hey, kids, remember this. If anything is sponsored on this show, it's sponsoring the library. Go to That's your right. library. You can get tons of DVDs there and books and obviously books, but like CDs and video games. Some uh, libraries have video games. And if you're trying to save some bucks and support your uh, your your, ta your taxes are paying for it, so you already spend the money anyway. So go to your library, Definitely. Uh, and if you see something, or if you don't see something that you want, ask them. They have forms you can fill out. And somebody did that at my library, and they got the season one of the Batman show, and I got to check it out. And you're right, I think I got through disc one before I was like, oh, well, I don't know if I'm gonna make it all the way through. It's kind yeah. of like, you can, you can, it's like a taste. You can just do an episode here or there. I can't imagine anybody doing a marathon. No, no way. Not anymore. I, I could see as kids loving it, why we loved it, but no. 
You know, and I, I see now, I look back on the 90s Batman movies, and I see them as kind of campy now. And we thought they were so dead serious, but you look at them and go, oh, yeah, Jack Nicholson's really chewing the scenery on this one. Right. <laughs> or Batman and Robin, come on, bat nipples and, and the huge uh, cod pieces? That was camp. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know what they were thinking or what they were on at that point, but <clears throat> oh, boy. Thank anyway, Christopher Nolan came in and saved that. Um, yes, I went. I was looking up uh, the guy who was the head writer, basically the developer, <clears throat> excuse me, of the series. He would actually go on to do some serious movies. He did the Parallax View, which I believe is with Warren Beatty. Uh, the Drowning Pool with Paul Newman. Three Days of the Condor with uh, Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. Uh, King Kong, and then he went back to campy again with Flash Gordon. Gordon's still and alive. Boy, did he ever go campy! <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of how he ended it. Then it went from uh, it went from Flash Gordon to Never Say Never Again. And you know, a lot of the Bond movies are kind of hokey. Uh, Sheena, and then Never Too Young to Die. Oh wow! Remember, we discussed Never Too Young to Die last year as one of the campiest, craziest movies I've ever seen in my life. That was. Um... John Stamos, right? Yeah, with a transvestite yeah. Gene Simmons trying to take over the world with, uh, you know, <laughs> poisoning the water, which isn't a fresh idea. But yeah, so he continued to work, but it got weird at the end. <laughs> well, are you talking about Gene Simmons? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, no, well, it was Lorenzo Semple, the, right, the, the head writer. Well, the head writer, okay. It's always yes. weird for Gene Simmons. I feel like there's some tomorrow <laughs> universe that he exists in that somehow he gets to continue being who he is, and people are like, "We love him. He's an asshole, but we love him." <laughs> Lick my shoe. I love you. <laughs> uh, now, for me, uh, the Batman animated series from the '90s is where it finally got it right. It had the movies, yes. it had great dialogue, and it had all the villains, and they got them right. They weren't campy. Uh, Mr. Freeze, of course, being, uh, I think Mr. Freeze was a creation for the Batman 66. I don't think he believed, uh, uh, existed in the comics before that. Well, so I'm at a disadvantage here and I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this, but my Batman exposure has nothing to do with the comics. I think I've read maybe a handful in my life. Yeah, you were never a big comic book guy. I think you read Savage Dragon the most, and maybe a little bit of Batman. And I did, that's pretty much it. Only did that because you, I think. I think yeah. you turned me on to that, and then, yeah. yeah <laughs> I feel sad about this. I have a friend who lives nearby who has a whole wall of comics, and I really need to visit his library, if you want to call it that. But. Hey, visit your own library. See what they have there. You know, I can give you some good recommendations for some great Batman comics. Um, for me, I'm a little tired of Batman. I feel like we've been using him too much. There's so many characters in the DC Universe that haven't got exploited. But on TV, we're starting to get that with Green Arrow, The Flash, and uh, the new show, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, really bringing out characters that haven't got a lot of exposure. I'm looking forward to that one. In fact, it's going to be starting here in about 15 minutes, uh, where I am on on the West Coast. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, So with Batman, you know, uh, I feel like, if I remember correctly, the comic was actually starting to fall apart. It was about to be canceled, and they thought, well, let's give it a, a, a little bit of a push in, in, on TV and see if people get interested. And the sales went through the roof, but Batman's identity had completely changed. He was no longer the dark detective. He was kind of a, a wacky, kind of wild adventure kind of guy, taking on aliens and mutants underground and clowns and stuff like that. I'm not talking just Joker, because Joker's terrifying in the right light. Right. But yeah, it's weird. So even, well... And he got 
I don't know. I look at the Joker, and he's he's always terrifying. But okay, I'm watching this series, and I'm looking at the Joker, and he's terrifying in a whole different way oh, by yeah. just how hokey and <laughs> bad it, he looks. It kills me that Cesar Romero refused to take off his mustache. So you can see there's makeup all over his little mustache. I'm like, really? You really couldn't have taken right? it off for your, the shooting? <laughs> yeah, I did. No. <laughs> well, I was like, we're going back to um, how campy the 89 was and blah, blah, blah. But there's one thing that came out of that uh, beyond the Batmobile, of course, is the music. Oh, the Danny Elfman music. I think the production design Danny is insane. Elfman. The, the way the movie looks, well, yeah. it's retro, but it's futuristic. That really sets it. You know, uh, Batman 66, they didn't have the kind of budget for that, so I can't blame them. No, no. Yeah, the, you just told by their theme song. but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of the other villains, of course, Burgess Meredith, who I think most of us know as um, from Rocky. You know, um, uh, Mickey. Uh, what is it he's always saying? Uh, you can crap, uh, crap lightning and uh, eat. Eat lightning and crap thunder, or something like that. Something like that. <laughs> I screwed that up so bad. <laughs> That's all right, man. Now, somehow I forgot the Riddler. Uh, everybody knows that Frank Gorshin played the Riddler, but I didn't realize that in season two, John Aston from the Adams Family had taken over. Really? Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember that at all. Did I just see reruns of like the first season? Maybe. Maybe. My whole childhood. <laughs> my favorite villain uh, is kind of an obscure one who I don't believe is ever in the comics you never see him again as King Tut I don't know why I thought he was such a cool villain uh, but it's a very obscure one because he's not part of the mythos who was um, Eggman oh, that yeah. was it it was Vincent Price the venerable yeah. Vincent Price I yes I like me. he's got such a <laughs> way of talking <laughs> wait Seeing him in that camp was, I mean, back then I didn't even know who he was, so it didn't bother me then, but now I'm like, oh my. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's funny, when I was a kid I mostly knew Vincent Price for that episode of uh, Brady Bunch with the Tiki, the the little evil Tiki idol. Other than that, I didn't know who he was. I forgot he was in that, yep. Does it surprise you at all that Liberace played a villain? Because the show is so, like, you know, it's so cute. Uh, high camp. It, it it completely makes sense to me. Well, I love the fact that they always had that segment in every episode where they would climb up the building and someone would open the window and be like Frank Sinatra, you know, uh, oh, Dean right. Martin, uh, you know, or be Lucille Ball. There's all sorts of weird cameos, and you never knew who you're gonna get. I love that. I, I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, of course, the show was a huge hit. But back in the '60s, it seemed like a lot of shows were huge for a very short period of time. You and I were talking about how the Munsters and Adam's Family weren't on for more than two. Uh, the Monkees, I think, was only on for two seasons. And Batman was only on for two and a half years. And in fact, in the third season, they had to cut the budget and they brought in Batgirl <laughs> into the show to appeal to young boys. As if we didn't have enough to be appealed to, but man, yeah. Woo! Batgirl. I'm looking through the list of villains here from the show, and I'm seeing Mr. Freeze in here. There's one, two, okay, there's only three there, but there's three different Mr. Freezes, and one in particular, Otto Preminger. Yeah. The name sounds familiar, so I don't know what else he's been in, uh, but he looks familiar. Director, but actually. Is he? Yeah, he used to do, he well, acted a little bit, but he mostly did um, 
directing. And, of course, Eli Wallach in there, who everybody probably knows most. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he did a lot of gangster movies in the 80s and 90s. But I think most people know him from Good and the Bad and the Ugly. He is ugly. Uh, well, that <laughs> That's not very nice, right. Mike. That didn't come out right at all, did it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking at this picture of, of Otto, and he reminds me of a smiling Anakin Skywalker when they took the mask off him at the end. Oh, yeah. It's, it's That's a rough one. No! Sorry, sorry. Uh, the Batman 66 has got a revival. It does have its cult following. If you check yes. out DC Comics, they have uh, revived the series. Uh, Kevin Smith and his co-host for his podcast, uh, Ralph Garman, have been doing the Batman 66 comic, and I heard it's really good. It's really fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, after the show ended, uh, I think everybody knows it was very, very hard for Adam West and Burt Ward to break out afterwards because they were held. Right. They, they did this to a lot of actors and that were in comedies back then. They treated them like crap. You know, it's like, oh, you're a one-note hack. Well, you know, the show was a hit for a reason. So why can't you just believe that they have talent to carry something else? The way we ditched the Brady Bunch kids, well, not we, but, you know, the filmmaking industry, like the Gilligan's Island cast. You know, all these people that were so significant to our childhood, yet you rarely yeah. ever saw them again. That's sad. So, but luckily, you know, I think in the 90s, people started rediscovering the fun uh, behind the show and Adam West, how, what, how talented he was. And, you know, he's been on Family Guy for years now doing great voice work. Didn't he? It was, of course, he's also, he hasn't let go of Batman altogether. No, it was a so little... It, it's a little bizarre that he was insistent that he star in the 89 movie. I was like, dude, you're like 55. You're not in shape. Let's get realistic here. Well, I won't hit. Okay, I won't say that that would have been the end of the series, but I think it would have been put on hiatus for a oh. little while if that had happened. Oh, that would have actually. Oh, my. If, if he had been in it, it would have killed the comic book revival. There would probably be nothing now. There would be no industry now in, in comic books because. You know, that led to Dick Tracy, The Rocketeer, Shadow, Phantom, you know, and uh, even even Blade and The Crow were probably greenlit because of Batman. Right. That's good. I mean, those are definitely bonus. Something had to be said about this show, because I'm still scrolling through the villains here, and I'm seeing all these big names that I did not realize were there. Like, something drew them to it. Yeah. I mean, well, it was huge. Back then, TV was... Let's say uh, probably mid-60s to early 70s, TV was actually a hot place for someone to show up for just a day, you know? Uh, go on a popular right. show, do like Laugh-In, do Hee Haw, do uh, like the Dean Martin show, you know, and Batman, I, I think was the only, one of the only shows that really heavily relied on cameos, but it right. was a way to stay hip in the kids' eyes, you know? You could grab somebody who like True. Louis, Louis Prima who wasn't connecting to people under 30, and this is a way of getting his name out there. So we, yeah, definitely. We I mean, got like Milton Berle, Ethel Merman, Joan Collins was in there. <laughs> it's crazy how much crap. they got. But they probably anyway. paid them well too. It's like, hey, we'll give you $10,000. You come in for an hour, pop your head out, say a line, and that's it. Right. The, awesome. The one thing I will say about Burt Ward is while he didn't continue in acting, he did open an animation studio. It's not really well known. It mostly did like commercial animation. Uh, nothing really in film or TV, but you know, advertising needed animation for a long time, so he made him made a you know a good chunk of change there. But he has a line of dog food called Boy Wonder Dog Food, and it's mostly available in California. But you can special order it from the website. I believe it's free shipping, 
and it's all organic and uh, it, it's he, he he does a very impassioned speech on uh, he did a few years ago about how dog food companies the mainstream ones cover this garbage this terrible dog food with lard to make dogs mm. hungry and eat more and eat more and eat more and get fat but uh, they don't like the smell of lard so they cover it in a chemical like a fake. Mm -hmm. uh, scent kind of thing, whatever, to make them find it pleasant. So not only are they poisoning your dog with the lard, but they're also putting chemicals in your dog's body. So he and his wife basically designed this dog food to be made from real food, stuff that you're supposed to eat from vegetables, and, and, and even uh, fruit is in there. And it gives them all the nutrients they need without all the disgusting extra. Well, like, was it blue? Is it yeah. Blue Buffalo or something like that? Yeah. That's, that, that's the one that we actually go to because it's, uh, while his food isn't very expensive, we prefer to shop local. So we just go to one of the local stores. They, they carry Blue Buffalo and Blue Diamond is good as well. Oh, boy. Although I just did a search for that and might want to read into that. What I just said? Lawsuits. Uh, Blue Buffalo. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. We won't go off on a tangent on that, but okay. um, so, anyway, I want to dump. <laughs> now it's time for your favorite part of the show, I'm hoping, the car details. Tell us about the Batmobile. The most iconic Batmobile to date has to be this car, I think. Uh, although when the 89 one came out, I think it's probably on par with it now. Yeah, I think, I think it goes, um, I, you know, it depends on when you were raised. The 89 one yeah. is pretty awesome, but the 66 one is so unique. But yes. I'll say a lot of people love the Rambler from uh, Batman Begins or the Rumbler, Rumbler, yeah. Batman Begins, uh, uh, Tumbler. Tumbler, thank you. Tumbler, yeah. I was like, definitely it depends on who you are and what you're into. It was like, I, for that movie, that that thing worked really well. I thought because it it brought it down to a more realistic level. Yeah, like how can we that. accomplish this? <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm I'm a guy who loves '50s and '60s cars, so for me, it's the '66 Batmobile. Yep, me too. <laughs> Although I wouldn't turn down driving in any no, other no, two. No, but... no, no, no. I would even go for the weirdo <laughs> one from Batman and Robin with those huge mutant wings that you could see through and had the red, white. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I don't know. I've Coming from a, being an 80s kid, I, I, I kind of like those. Yeah. Because you know, loving Tron and what have you, that, that kind of gives me that vibe with that glowing inner you know light type of, anyway. But I digress. <laughs> exactly. Um, boy. Anyway. Okay, so this car is another car, yet another car, designed by the late, great George Barris and his uh, group of people that work with him. Um, now, this car was built off a concept car that he purchased, get this, for one dollar. I know, it still stuns me. Oh. It's ridiculous. Considering it cost Ford $250,000 in 54 money. That's the equivalent of like two million two hundred thousand dollars in today's dollars. Anyway, and he bought it for a buck. <laughs> but anyway, this car that he built it off of it was a it was Lincoln. It was under the Lincoln moniker uh, um, called the Futura. It was conceptualized and designed by William M. Schmidt. He was the manager of Lincoln Styling Department at the time. And it began its life under the famed Ghia Body Works in Turin, Italy. They're the ones that uh, fabricated the car. And it was never, that's a lot of money to put into a car that was never actually used. But it was 
in one other thing. It was before Batman. It was actually used in a movie. It was leased to, um, oh, who was it, uh, Metro-Golden-Mayer uh, for the movie. It started with a kiss with Debbie Reynolds and Glenn Ford. Uh, as far as the engine that was underneath the hood, it was, a, I think at the time, just your normal plain Jane overhead valve V8 with four-barrel car, put out about 330 horse. And here's a quick trivia bit. Did you know that Barris Customs built another car inspired by the Bat? Which one's that? It was built for comedian and ventriloquist Jeff Dunham. Dunham. Jeff. 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 Dunham. I don't know what that anyway, was. You have to listen to his bit. Anyway. Oh, okay. All I, remember, uh, all I know this, of Jeff Dunham is, I kill you. Silence. But anyway, this car was, is, it's a smart car <laughs> with wings. <laughs> it's something I would drive. I would definitely drive it, but it, it's, it's a smart car. <laughs> That's weird. It's got to be tiny. Teeny tiny. Uh, that's about all I have on the car, as far as that goes. I, I mean, I could go on and on for days, all the gadgets they built into this thing. Oh. But, um, And I got a little bit more to go on on uh, such an, on uh, George Barris here when we get into the next car. Here. Okay, so, holy Toledo, Ron, man. It's time to move to the next segment. <laughs> Soinks. Oh, wait, that's <laughs> wrong. I'm sorry. Oh, wrong, right, wrong Michael. Let's move to the next episode. All right. You know where I pulled that from? That track? I don't know. It's from Kill Bill. It's from the Kill Bill soundtrack. I totally forgot it was used in that movie. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Nice. All right, so Green Hornet is a little bit different. Now, Batman, of course, is from DC Comics. At the time, though, DC Comics was not owned by Warner Brothers. It was its own independent thing, and they licensed out the rights to 20th Century Fox. Now, of course, this became a huge issue later when Warner Brothers wanted to issue out TV show. Fox refused to cooperate. Actually, I think it's the vice versa. Fox uh, wanted to reissue it, and... Uh, Warner Bros. didn't want them to. They wanted to sell them back the rights, and they said no. So we sat around waiting forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever for it to come out. And I think Shout Factory is the one that stepped in and said, hey, we'll do it, and we'll give you guys 50% of whatever. Now, because of that, also, there was the rights by 20th Century Fox option for Green Hornet. And a lot of us know that Batman and Green Hornet had an awesome crossover episode. They did. Yes, and that's what we're talking about right now. Also, uh, you know how I said Batman 66, the comic series, is going right now? Kevin Smith yeah. also has written Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, which I heard is also Sweet. a really good series. Yeah, it's funny. Um, years ago, wow, it's so long ago. Uh, I think in 1989, I had bought an issue of this magazine called Comic Zone. And it gave you a lot of stuff about what was going on in the comic book world, but it was all about Batman 2. What were the ideas being tossed out? And this is like six months or so after the first Batman movie came out. And it was just as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were coming out, whatever. And in the very back, they had two pages of comic book properties that were optioned and in development to be either on TV or on film. And in it, it said that Green Hornet was ready to go. They just needed to set the cast. That was 1989. And we didn't get the wow. movie until what? Uh, 2000. 2000. 
Yeah. Yep. That's a long time, and there were there were times when it was uh, it was gonna be George Clooney as Green Hornet. I remember um, who's the guy from Talk Soup? Uh, Greg Kinnear. He was attached for a mm-hmm. while. Uh, Jet Li was attached. Jackie Chan was attached. Jason Scott Lee. Um, oh, Jackie Chan would have been an awesome Kato. Yeah, and it's I still <laughs> like the new movie. Um, I like Kato more than I do Green Hornet because Seth Rogen, while he's funny. He's pretty useless, and I was a fan of the old TV show, and I never saw Green Hornet as being kind of a bonehead. Right. And uh, I went and revisited the show. You had never seen it before, correct? Uh, I've seen episodes of, of it before. I've not seen the movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, you haven't seen um, the movie? It's it's okay. It has a lot of great action, but there's a couple things that really bother me that go against what the hero is all about. I'm open right. to the interpretations, but this is so far from it that it feels like a parody. Like the way 21 Jump Street, it's entertaining, but it's not 21 Jump Street. There's no way. That's the thing. There's certain things I think, you know, and I've said this before, that I think this shouldn't be touched. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, know, you take certain movies and you're going to take them, like Starsky and Hutch was a very serious, gritty show, you know? Yeah. And, well, I mean, uh, there, were, there were humorous moments, obviously, but they just went way off the deep end when the, with the movie. And I didn't like it, yeah, to be honest. I mean, I, you go create something of your own if you're going to do yes. that. Make it an homage to the original. Don't make it an exact copy. Because, see, now here's the thing is, if somebody ever wants to make 21 Jump Street serious again, it's not going to work. It, it right. seems like the kind of thing, like with Green Hornet, um, that if you ever try to take it back to its original source, that people are just going to look at it going, what? I don't get it. This was built for this generation. How many of them have actually seen? I mean, we have obviously seen Jump the original Jump Street, but it's honestly been how many years since then? Uh, it was '87 when the show started. Right. So I mean, it's long enough back that anyone who tries to see a new version of it, they'd be like, "What do you? What do you?" They'll be thinking like we are in the you know the antithesis of what we're thinking. Right. <laughs> so. So the Green uh, Hornet, you know, it started off as a radio show. It was a comic. They did some cereals back in the day. Cereals, not the kind you eat, people. If you don't know what a cereal is, it was where he, basically it was a film, but cut up into multi-chapters, like 12 to 15 chapters, and they would show them like in 10-minute segments before the big picture, you know. Uh, then it was, and then you can eat it in a bowl with, a, <laughs> with some milk. Because it's chopped up. It's, it's easier to consume. Uh, but it That's wasn't right. until the 60s when the Batman show hit so big that they decided to auction the rights for this. Oh, by the way, the creator of Green Hornet is also the creator of Lone Ranger. That sounds about right. And for those that don't know, that means they are in the same universe because, according to the creator, Britt Reed is the nephew of the Lone Ranger. Yep. That's pretty awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean... I remember... Now, that I knew when I was driving truck. I used to listen to a lot of... um, of these stories of the radio shows. Yeah, I love radio shows. I, I listened to the Green Hornet every chance I got, and The Shadow. It was awesome. There's a, and that's there's how I knew Blue that. Beetle. Do you remember the Blue Beetle from DC Comics? Yes. Yeah, he had a radio show that was on for about a year that was pretty good, too. Like, recently? Mm-hmm. Or has he he'd been around for a long time? Oh, the Blue Beetle's been around since, like, the 30s. Really? Yeah, it's... See, this is... He's a weird character because his, co- his... The Blue Beetle itself is actually public domain. The scarab that gave him the powers is something that anybody can do, but they can copyright, so you have to reinterpret it every time. I think like six or seven different people have reinterpreted Blue Beetle. Now, uh, the 40s version was um, is public domain, but the 60s version from Charlton Comics, 
is not. That's the one that we everybody loves and knows. And he got bought by DC Comics, along with The Question, Captain Adam, and a few others. And now they own the rights. So the Blue Beetle that most people know has been on, like, what's that Batman? You know the lighthearted Batman cartoon from not too long ago where he would always partner up with someone? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember, but, uh, you know, he's been in that. And I believe he was going to Brave and the on... Bolt? Yeah, Brave and the Bolt. Thank you. He's going to be on Smallville. Yeah. But I also heard they're going to try to make a TV show with him and Booster Gold. So we'll see if that happens. <laughs> That'll be awesome. He's basically Batman if he was you or me. You know, he he may have the money, he may have the gadgets, but he screws up. He's clumsy, you know, and yep. he likes to joke around. And uh, he's like the perfect medicine for how grim Batman has gotten lately. And it's actually kind of... Batman makes me a little miserable because he is so not there anymore as a human. Right. He, he lost... He doesn't know how to have fun anymore. Right. He's been doing it for so many years. Well, I think I think Bruce Wayne is now completely made up. He is pretending to be Bruce. He is completely Batman who only puts on Bruce's face when he needs to. Right. Now, Van Williams played Britt Reed, I, Britt Reed sorry, perfectly. He was able to handle Green Hornet and his, you know, his normal self very well in the show, whereas the movie it's almost all Britt pretending to be a superhero. But Kato has never been screwed up. But you cannot beat Bruce Lee as Kato. So amazing. No, no, no. In fact, but that was his yeah. first. That was his first foray into the United States film, right? I believe so. I actually, I'm not even sure if he had done anything um, overseas yet. If I remember correctly, he got these. He got what Fist of Fury and Big Boss because of mm. Green Hornet. Nice. See, back in the day. If you were on a show that was action-oriented, even if it only lasted one year, there was a studio somewhere out there starving for an action star. Usually it would be the Italian or the Spanish companies that would get you in some sort of low-budget western or spy movie, and they could sell that worldwide. That lasted until like the late 80s. And uh, But for Bruce Lee, it was different because he wasn't usually accepted. I mean, we're still talking the 60s where racism was pretty strong. Uh, he wasn't really yeah. accepted in Europe. So they found a way to get him over, you know, in making, you know, over in Asian countries, obviously, you know, in uh, China and Japan or whatever, started making movies they could sell there with him. I have to, I'm ashamed to admit I've not only seen maybe two or three of his movies. Well, I need to make a weekend of it or well, something. Let's see, what does he have? He has uh, Big Boss, Fist of Fury... Uh, Return of the Dragon, Inch of the Dragon, no. and then the, oh my god, if you have not seen Game of Death, it is the most bonkers-ass movie I've ever seen in my life, because it is roughly 90 minutes. They had a half hour of footage, almost, of one of the most amazing fight sequences in history, and for some reason the studio goes, nah, cut it down to 10 minutes, and then we'll fill the rest with stunt doubles. And I kid you not, there was wow. one point where Bruce Lee looks in the mirror, but it's not Bruce Lee. It's a stunt double with a cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee over his face. <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> it's so disturbing and hilarious at the same time. Well, this oh. is the, the advent. This is, this is the birth of CGI, friends. Yeah, it was <laughs> bizarro. Um, but uh, watch Game of Death, uh, the whole uncut action sequences. It's up on YouTube. And basically, you remember the game Kung Fu for the Nintendo? Yeah. Where you basically just go levels, you up each level, and there'd be a big boss at the end. You keep going up to the top of the pagoda. That is yep. basically the end of Game of Death. Ten years 
before anybody even thought of putting that into a video game. It was the first like <laughs> video game movie. Awesome. All right. So, Green Hornet, I say check out the show, the radio show, the movie. I can give or take. It's entertaining, but it's not true to the origin. Now, let's get the deets on the Black Beauty. All right. The Black Beauty. This car has an interesting side story that's got me questioning a hero of mine. I touched on this in the last on Batman, and that's George Barris. So if you go to the George Barris website, you will see a picture of the Black Beauty, as the Green Hornet and Cater called it, obviously. Uh, it looks as if Barris built it. He makes it look like he built it. Uh, he, in fact, purchased one of the two cars, and somewhere down the line allowed people to believe that he built it. And an interesting side note, the same goes for the Monkey Mobile. And both of these cars were designed and built by the late Dean Jeffries. Um, he's been a rival of Barris's for decades. And if I read my facts, if I've got my facts straight, I think he worked for Barris at one point in his life. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but he decided to go his own way. Uh, he felt like he was his businesses or side businesses were starting to compete and he needed to do his own thing, so... But anyway, um... Now, I don't know. Apparently, apparently, Barris has spent a lot of time taking credit for cars he had nothing to do with. That's so weird, man. Why? He has such amazing designs. And he, exactly. He's got an impressive resume of his own stuff. Why would you do that? I mean, and I just found this out tonight when I, or when I was getting ready to do this show. I'd never heard that before. I didn't realize that there was that rivalry going on. I'm like, oh, that's not cool. You, you don't step on another artist's toes like that, you know? Yeah. You know, what's funny is that looking back, I read his book a few years ago, and I feel like he even put the monkey's mobile in the book saying it was his. And until you told me, I really did think it was his. Well, he, he bought, like I said, he bought, I don't know if he bought one or both, but he at least has one of them. And like he, see, when the monkeys came out, in the first place, there, there was a model released mm -hmm. uh, of the car, and in it, uh, well, I don't know if the box itself said it was built by Jeffries or not, but the new re-release of it, any mention of anybody, it, it actually says by George Barris on it. Ugh. Like, it's what? Got, it's gotten me a little bit here in this. Ugh. I know, I know. It's what I was saying. He's like, hit me in the pit in my stomach. But um, anyway... You can read more into that later. Uh, it's all out there. Yeah, we'll discuss it. We got, uh, we got one episode we should be discussing, like, some of the comedy stuff from the 60s, like Get Smart, He Had a Great Car, The Monkees, and stuff like that, and, and even up to a current car uh, a current um, car show, uh, Titus. You know, we can mm -hmm. fit that in. We can talk about the Monkees Mobile then. Cool. Good deal. Okay, so for the nitty-gritty, uh, the car, the Black Beauty, was built on a 1965 Chrysler Imperial Crown uh, at a cost of about $50,000 in 1964. Oh, wow. That's a little bit better chunk of change than what Ford put into the other car. Yeah. Because this was only, this is like $382,600, something like that, and some change uh, in today's money. So, yeah, just a little bit less money put into that one. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, granted, the first one was a concept by Ford, and they're the ones that put that money in it. What it costs for Bears to build it, I, I couldn't find that. But um, anyway, you can say he didn't have a lot overhead. He just bought the thing for a buck. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this car has 30, count them, 30 coats of metal flake, pure black 
green pearl of essence lacquer. And yes, that is what it's called. <laughs> and, and not to get fresh or anything, but it was hand rubbed to a high gloss. Oh, oh man, I want my car hand rubbed. <laughs> Yeah, under the hood was a 440 cubic inch V8, and it put out about 350 horse and about 400 foot pounds of torque, and it needed it because that was a big car. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's about all I have on the specs on that. All right, everybody. So that is it for us with this episode. Thank you. I think this is one of my favorite episodes. I love talking about comic Me books. Too. I got a little nerdy there for a bit, and I apologize if I rambled on, Ron. Sometimes you kind of have to just sit back and like, uh-huh, uh-huh, you done yet? <laughs> so the only thing, the only caveat I have to say about this is that it made me watch Batman again. Yeah. Uh, and but, it, but I would say watching yeah, it Green doesn't Hornet hold up. again. That, <laughs> Green Hornet got better. As I got older, I enjoyed the seriousness of it much more. I definitely have to say when I started watching the Green Hornet, it, uh, it, I love this a hundred times more than Batman. Yeah, but. it's like the perfect antidote for the campiness. And I can see yes. why it didn't last. People probably were not ready for comic books to be treated so seriously. Right. Now, you might have noticed with that Monsters theme song there, that was the uh, updated version from the late 80s. The first one's real bass-heavy. We were listening to it before this. It's almost like surf rock. Um, that one has like a, an orchestra and everything. Which did you like? Could you even hear the second one? The, the second one. What did I miss? <laughs> oh, no, I was playing the theme song. The first theme song, the original theme song, was a darker, deeper song. It was real streamlined. It had like a heavy bass line to it. And then the yes. um, the sequel series, well, I don't know if it's a sequel or a remake. Uh, the one that took place from 87 to 90, I believe. It the has, one that was uh, in color. Yeah, that one is the one I actually watched more than the original. Uh, that one has kind of an orchestra sound to it instead of heavy surf sound. And uh, I kind of right. like the newer one better, but you can't beat the original. You know, well, The uh, original was supposed to be more, it was supposed to be playing back to like the old, like leave it to beaver type of family show type of thing only with a darker th tone to it yeah i, I love <laughs> so the 60s was a crazy period i feel like um some of the shows that they made back then there's no way they would get on the air now and it's almost as if the executives were just throwing whatever they could at the wall and see what stuck and uh you get some oddball ideas i mean there was a show about prisoners in a camp and it was funny i mean hogan's heroes i loved it yeah and hogan's heroes there's no way that would fly now people are like are you insane? No, of course not. We're not going to shoot a pilot. <laughs> or, or a show where you spend five years on an island, you know, just, uh, they seriously, they haven't got off the island yet? Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> they can build a coconut phone, but they can't freaking carve out a boat. Right. Um, they're my mother, the car, uh, my favorite Martian, just a uh, Mr. Ed, a show about a talking horse. And it was insanely popular. The sixties was a wild place to be. If you were a TV fan. And it's still strong today. I mean, you could watch it today and still laugh your butt off. It's, yeah. It just goes to prove you don't need nasty humor to get a laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah, each decade kind of has its own feel. The 50s, I think, is almost too simple. You know, the right. Leave it to Beaver area, uh, era, it was mostly like very, very safe comedy. It was always about teaching you a lesson. The 60s got weird and kooky. 
And in the 70s is when I think sitcoms were at their pinnacle when it came to balancing uh, really intelligent comedy with like social issues and emotional stuff. You know, uh, if you watch a lot of the shows from the 70s, they're almost like stage plays. Uh, what's the Barney Miller? Uh, they never even left that set once. And shows like no. that, I think, were required to get you out of the kitschy weirdness of the 60s. But when it comes to, like, timeless kind of things, eh, the 60s. Because they weren't really about the moment. They were just trying to create inventive stories. Right. Well, except Barney for Miller, that was... Yeah. I mean, this is kind of off our TV subject. How long did Barney Miller hang in for? I think it was on Because I love that show. I, you know, eight weird. years. Yeah. I never watched it. Um... <laughs> There's a handful oh, of TV shows awesome. that I, I, I kind of, they were on TV a lot when I was a kid, uh, but I never really got around to watching. I never watched the Bob Newhart show. I never watched Taxi. I never watched uh, All in the Family, you know, Maud. Um, I think the only show from the 70s I really watched was WKRP. Other than that, All a right. lot of that stuff is still, I've never just, I should take some time and go revisit those shows. Definitely need to. Like Bob Newhart, especially. You know, I like the newer, though. <laughs> Did I say especially? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, I get tongue-tied. Anybody who listens to the show on a regular basis will be uh, convinced when I say, I have verbal dyslexia. Somehow I flip things in and out, and they make no right. sense. I, I, I Yesterday when I was uh, helping someone, I said uh, uh, paper or plastic, but I combined it into paper and uh, <laughs> just kind of stopped for a second, looked at him. He looked at me, and we just kind of laughed about it, but I was so ashamed that I said paper. That's not, I'm sure. What is paper? Is this this new fabric? <laughs> anyway. Um, the, a lot of the shows in the seventies, like those, you know, they're sophisticated and it's harder for me to find. I feel like a lot of that stuff is still not on DVD and you're saying the Bob Newhart show, both of his shows are very hard to find if you want to complete the series. I think, uh, the first show only got past like the fourth season and the original Newhart, I think they're just now doing like manufacture on demand and it's kind of a bummer because a lot of these shows are worth finding, but now you got to pay through the nose or you got to find them, like, on YouTube. Right. That's sad. But I will say this. Those shows in the 70s usually lasted minimum five seasons. The 60s, mm-hmm. while they had the weird shows, you think they were on forever, but they weren't. Uh, Batman, I think, was on for two and a half years. Monkeys, two years. And the Munsters and the Addams Family were both only on for two years. And it feels like they were on for so much longer. I guess people just had to... Uh, uh, their interests would change in a show quickly. I thought I had read that the, uh, it was other month. I think it was the monsters. They have never left syndication, at least in the U.S. and some other countries. But they have always been on the air. Yeah, and somewhere or another, while we have the luxury now <clears throat> of having like Antenna TV or the Retro Network, you know, there's like a, three or four of those stations, My TV, uh, and they almost primarily have old reruns. I don't get those. You I need to look into those. Oh, if you, uh, it's on regular antenna TV. So if you have a digital antenna, there's the regular stations, but then they have substations. Like NBC will be like 33, and then you'll find a right. substation riding the same signal at 33.1, 33.2. That's how you find those channels. I haven't quite got a grasp on all that yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mr. Tech Savvy. I should know this, but I, I spend too much time on Netflix apparently. <clears throat> anyway yeah so while we're talking about tv shows that uh you know only lasted a couple seasons the monsters got killed by batman what, yeah. based almost primarily on the fact that the monsters was still black and white 
and Batman was in color, and it just caught people's attention. Besides the fact that it was an awesome show, right? And uh, we're going to be we're we'll discussing Batman and Green Hornet later in the year. I think right before we transition. Uh, eventually, everybody, we were discussing this earlier. Uh, we're going to run out of TV shows and movies that focus on cars, and eventually, we're going to turn it into full throttle sci-fi, and then we'll start talking about like you know Star Trek and uh, Voyagers and V and stuff like that. That's where the end of my specs will be. <laughs> yeah, then we'll just start making it up. Well, the, we just uh, make it up. Yeah, the flink floppers. Yeah, but. I think we'll start focusing on like I don't know something else. But uh, for now, the monsters. Yeah, like I said, two seasons. I still think the show holds up extremely well. Yeah, I grabbed. You were saying uh, about the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I grabbed the series uh, from the library. That's a great thing. Uh, while video stores have disappeared, the catalog at your libraries have expanded greatly because frankly people aren't reading as much so they got to get people in there so they're adding more books on tape you know audiobooks and uh they're beefing up their film category and if you go to a library support your library because they're basically a, a free video store i love it my kids are loving it too we just got cards for both of them my youngest is five he's he's having a blast with it it's great because you don't have to worry about the cost if you're kind of eh, on the you know undecided about if you want to check out something you know well what I want to pay for this but at the library it's just like I'll check it out if I don't like one episode I'll like one episode. It's usually our library is a buck, but really it's like Netflix, but Netflix doesn't carry all those things you know so I'm like what the heck why not? Well, I'm sure you also. Oh, and the money goes to the library and yeah. yeah, I'm willing to support that so. Well, I'm sure you get more than one day with it too, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a week or something like that, but which is better than Netflix, so I'll, I'll take that any day. <laughs> or not Netflix, sorry, uh, Redbox. Redbox, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what you were saying about the Batman taking out, uh, Batman was in color, the monsters, this is an interesting tidbit. In order to save money, they decided to shoot in black and white. They originally started shooting in color. But it would have saved, I forget, it was like $6,000 or something like that. I'm like, oh, oh my God, such tiny like, money now. <laughs> exactly. Like, $6,000, what? But I think it lent to the show. I mean, put it in the black and white, give it that trippier look, you know, I thought. But and The funny thing when is, they... I saw the movie um, Monster's Revenge first, and it was in right. color. And I taped that movie, and I think I watched it roughly 300 times, and... I didn't realize until just recently when I was watching the monsters, I go, wait, it was always in black and white? At no point was it in color? It wasn't until, like, the reboot series, or the remake series. Uh, well, okay, what is the difference? Remake, reboot, reimagining? It's all the same thing. They're just going back to the same well, correct? I think they had a new... Well, no, they did that before they even got out of the black and white section, where they had the new, uh, the, the, da the niece, rather. Yeah. Was, uh, anyway... Go ahead. Yeah, uh, but for uh, me, I was surprised when it was still all still black and white, and I was like, oh, at some point I thought they went to color, but they never did. Because, yeah, I always remembered it being black and white, so I honestly don't know if I ever watched the color version. Yeah, the uh, during the late 80s, uh, syndicated television started becoming an important thing for some of the littler networks. You know, at the time, this is going to sound crazy to any kids that are listening to this, uh, there was only ABC, NBC, and CBS. Fox hadn't launched until summer of 87. So there were stations, like for us, it was Super 55. 
and they always right. had like these packages of reruns. They almost always just did reruns and low budget movies. And around '85, I think, is when they first started going. You know what? We can syndicate original programming out to these little networks and give them something fresh that no one else has seen. And I think uh, there was Out of This World. You know, the one where the girl puts her fingers together. And yes, stops time. remember that one. There was My Secret Identity, and they would bring back some shows like What's Happening Now. She's the Sheriff was on. There's like a handful of these comedies. There was there was the dramas, but for the most part, the comedies were really cheap, and they could send them out to these networks. And I believe in 87 or 88 is when uh, The Monsters Today premiered, and that was always on Super 55. Let me check what year that actually showed up. Uh, 88 to 91. Yeah, they're really cheap to shoot and really fast, and with um, everybody getting 60s nostalgia around this time, it was a perfect, perfect timing for it. Definitely. I remember there being like a, a new Leave It to Beaver. You'd always see like somehow they would change the title. Like it wouldn't just be The Monsters. It would be The Monsters Now or uh, Today or The New. There's a lot of shows with The New. The New Gidget was one of them. I remember that. Right. And it was a completely different show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of these shows, they just use the name. The cast would not repeat, which is always kind of a bummer. Though I think by this time, the original cast had gotten either too old or just moved on there's no way you get butch patrick back in the makeup no no you know i just you know looking up information on on monsters i saw butch patrick was on one of those court shows was because he was arrested (laughs) or because another good was a bad reason one of the guys that was running his website or something along those lines was uh i can't give you all the details and i don't want to give you wrong information here but essentially he was suing uh him for a certain amount of money in order to hand over some stuff from the website. I guess he he was essentially ticked off because he got left out of a book deal. <laughs> anyway, you'd have to look it up yourself. Sometime. Yeah, I anyway. was um, I was listening to a, an interview he did with Gilbert Godfrey, and oh, but that was awesome. It is and it isn't. Um, here's the thing with Gilbert Godfrey's show. He gets guests that nobody else will get. I mean, we're talking like, and they're all old school. They're like people from F Troop and, uh, uh, you know, 60s and 70s shows. And he is a terrible interviewer. He has such, uh, you think I have a short attention span and I bounce from topic to topic? <laughs> Crank that by a thousand and you have Gilbert Godfrey. He will, he will stop. The interview he did with, uh, uh, who's the guy who stars in BJ and the Bear again? Um, you know, he's in My Two Dads. Why am I getting a brain fart? Uh-huh. Greg Evigan. He was doing an interview yeah. with Greg Evigan, and he stops the interview for a two-and-a-half-minute song, and you can just hear Greg Evigan losing his patience, like, what is going on here? Uh, that is irritating, but he has a co-host, Frank Santo Padre. He holds the show together. He should have his own, because he's absolutely fascinating, great voice, too. And he was uh, talking to Butch Patrick while Gilbert Godfrey was off on his own planet, and Butch is just so straightforward and honest about all the screw-ups that he's done and he apologized for them and he's trying to get his life back in order and um it takes a real man to admit when you screw up that bad right yeah other than that i don't i know he was in um the phantom toll booth but other than that i think he was just one of those kid actors that if he does get roles it's usually like some sort of play on his own persona like the way gary coleman did for years right it sounded like he did okay with his life though yeah, some of the I mean, guys, it doesn't, just because you're no longer acting or in game star roles doesn't mean that your life is in disarray. There are people out there who move on. They do other things. And when people can do that, 
Um, I think it's the kid, uh, what's the show? Uh, You're my best friend. You know, it's with the guy, oh, it's Bill Bixby. Yeah. Uh, what's that show? <laughs> uh, uh, but I believe it's that kid who was in the show. He started a whole funding thing for kids who need legal help when they get older. You know, like say their parents steal all their money when they were acting. He helps set up a fund and legal help to make sure that child actors don't lose all their money to someone else, like a shady agent or a manager, that it puts it in a savings until they turn 18 and it slowly dispenses out a certain amount of money every year while they get through their awkward, you know, oh, high school and college years. Oh, cool. It was The Courtship of Eddie's Father. Thank That's you. Why was. can't I remember that? Yes. I love the fact that right as I was saying, best friend, my voice just went, nope, we're not going to the right <laughs> note. We're just going to collapse. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. Now, uh, the monsters today, actually, looking back on it, is pretty awful. The writing just was non-existent. It was just something there to sell to independent stations. But the original, it is absolutely top-notch. And uh, I can I continue to watch it over and over. And I think a lot of it has to do with the cast. They're so well... Um, the chemistry is so well done. You know, They just have a, an energy, especially with uh, Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis. And I think they were yeah. on... Or are they on Car 54 together? Where are you? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. You can just see it. Those guys, are just they've been old friends, and they really know what the timing, you know, how each one plays off each other. There was, uh, like, the last episode where they knew that was the end. They were just having fun with it and what have you. Where he's going, call the call the FBI, call the police, call the CIA. Car 54, where are you? <laughs> I thought that was <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. There is another movie which I... I think is incredibly hard to find. I'm probably not now. I just don't know how to search for it. The um, I want to say Monsters Go Home was the theatrical movie they released after the show ended, which makes me wonder why they would make a movie if the show was being canceled. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it was one of those things where they were like filming it between seasons, which the way they did with the Batman movie. Right. But not all of them can have shock repellents, Robin. That's, that's my favorite well, part said, of the Batman movie. <laughs> what was it? Is, um, shoot, something along the lines where they felt like they felt like the show may be down, but it's not down for good. Yeah. Like like the, the monsters they portrayed, I, re I heard somewhere. You know, they always come back or find a way to come back. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. Okay, so he, explain this to me. Okay, so we have Herman, who's a, a Frankenstein's monster. We have Lily, who is a vampire, correct? <clears throat> she is a vampire. I believe so. How did they make a werewolf boy? Yeah, it's best not to ask, I think. I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't want to say they kidnapped a, a, a werewolf boy or saved a werewolf boy, but I'm just like, I'm going to chalk it up to the logistics of wacky 60s sitcom rules. You know, there's no real reason or rhyme. It's just there to be there. Well, maybe the part that controls, you know, set, you know, that part of the anatomy. <laughs> Maybe that part of Munster, of uh, Herman, was an actual werewolf. Who knows? Okay, so take this. You're a human. You're bitten. You turn into a werewolf. But then you die. You know, you're hit with a silver bullet or hit in the head with a cane, whatever. You die. So therefore, the, ver the werewolf curse is gone. You turn back to a normal human being. Someone finds your body and then turns you into a Frankenstein. But maybe the werewolf gene is still in him somewhere, deeply embedded, and that's how it transfers to his kid? You just need a few congealing jolts of electricity <laughs> to bring it back out again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, so uh, some of the most famous things in uh, the monsters, of course, is the house, which is absolutely fascinating in its design. The uh, the monster under the stairs, which I always found incredibly amusing, and the cars. What can you tell us about the vehicles? There were two vehicles. Um, the one most people probably remember is the monster coach, and that's with the K because apparently that sounds cooler or scarier. <laughs> But they were both built by the legendary George Barris. Oh, golly, Ooh. man. The, the, the special cars that he would make are just absolutely fascinating. The Batmobile. Yes. like the name one that everyone would know. But uh, I won't name any more because some of the other shows we do will probably have those in there. Right. But, I will uh, say this. He does have an autobiog autobiography out there that shows you a lot of the experimental cars that he has in there. Real big, full-color pages. And a lot of the cars you've never seen, stuff that he was working on that never got finished or never got paid for, just kind of sits around. And sadly, a lot of those cars are gone now. <clears throat> that sucks. That's we got to hold a moment of silence. <laughs> Sorry, you, you said silence. Okay, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the coach was their main vehicle. It was made by piecing together three fiberglass. Tea buckets, like old Ford Model T tea buckets, in length. Uh, this car was 18 feet long. Oh man, that was been a pain to turn. To put this in perspective, your average sport Ute from today is around 14 and a half feet long. <laughs> if that says anything. Anyway, the frame and the tombstone radiator were handmade, as well as the fenders. It was glass, glass. It was glass black. I suppose if you looked at it at night, it would look like glass, but. And the interior of, was, of course, blood red. <laughs> it had a dropped front axle, as all, you know, hot rods did, right? So, jacked up in the back, low in the front. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> of course, every good monster car, of course, has to have, you know, a chemistry set. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grandpa has to have a place to work when he's not at home. So, you know, in the hearse body middle part of it, they had a chemistry set up there, set up for Grandpa. That was pretty cool. Two were made. A lot of times, of course, the show, it's, I think the car probably only appeared in the show a handful of times, maybe. So that makes sense. But the only one car was actually made for the show. The second car that was made was made at the request of Barris himself because he had previously auctioned off, I think it was 1982, he auctioned off the original. And uh, I had read somewhere that uh, Barris did real good at job at like a lot of the cars that he built, he retained ownership to. Yeah, he just he was really smart. I think he took what it was, if I remember correctly, the cost of the car was the only thing that the studio would cover. Like they wouldn't mm -hmm. cover the labor; they would just cover like the production cost of it. So part of the deal for getting uh, the car cheaper than they should have, they gave him the rights. Definitely, and that was a smart business move. I'm sure he made a lot of money off of the after the fact. So. Yeah, which <laughs> well, like I said, some people are forward thinkers. Like I still can't believe that Fox said no to the. Uh, it's like yes, all right, George Lucas, you can keep the rights to all merchandising for this movie. I mean, th it never makes any sense because uh, you know, eight years earlier they had done Planet of the Apes and they made tons of money off the merchandise for that. How could they not have the foresight to see that Star Wars is going to be a merchandising? At least a small uh, chunk of cash would have come from it. Ridiculous. Well, yeah. Lucas is strong with the force. <laughs> <laughs> and now Disney is. Oh, no. Well, I said, um, 
you were talking about price. Here's an interesting little tidbit uh, that I wrote on the other side of my paper here. Hold on a second. So the cost to build this car was about $20,000. Doesn't sound like much, right? Not now, but this was but 19, then, yeah. 1964, right. In equivalent, okay, that's equivalent to about $152,000 today. That's You could buy a fully equipped 2016 Corvette C7R, which is like the, their factory race car, if you will. Or a new Porsche 911, uh, what is it? Well, new Porsche 911. So if that puts it in any perspective, uh, I could go on and on about what all was put into the engine, but I'll put this in here at least. Uh, they had a Ford 289, a Ford 289 V8 that was bored out to 425. This engine was originally meant to find a home in an AC Cobra. Wow. It was the unbeast of an engine. I was going to say, that was powerful. <laughs> it would need to. I can't imagine how much that thing weighed. <laughs> but anyway, and that is all I have on that. There's more information out there if you want the real nitty-gritty details, but I won't go into bore you with all those right now so. yeah we try to keep the show somewhat contained in less than an hour <laughs> right uh the merchandising from this was actually kind of minimal at first it wasn't until later when it went into syndication where they started making like little model cars the video games mm -hmm. they did have a comic book of it running for 16 issues which must have meant uh three years 16 issues it must have been like a quarterly comic because that's not very long and uh they um, forbid, at the time, they were forbidding any sort of monsters to show up in comic books. But here's the weird thing. is Gold Key Comics, they found a way around it because they never actually joined the Comics Code Authority, which were the basically like the FCC, you know, the rule makers of what you could air and what you could not air. You know, that way with right. comics. And uh, Gold Key said, heh, you can tell us to do what to do all you want, but we're not part of your group, so, yeah. <laughs> How can someone have Sneak a problem? Yeah, no vampires in comic books, but uh, you know what? Even the monsters were offended by this. We cannot have this in a comic book. <laughs> so it just seems silly that they would complain about that. But the funny thing is, I think like four years later is when they decided, you know what? Go ahead and have all the monsters, have crime comics, who cares? And that's why you started getting stuff like uh, Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night and stuff like that. So thankfully, somebody got it in their head to go, this is nonsense. Kids aren't, you know becoming violent monsters because they read about it right is it strange that little kids love monsters i don't like i've i there's a period where i kind of like slasher movies because of the whole you know scream uh phenomenon but i go back right. now and when i try to watch horror movies i don't want to watch stuff that's uh you know like just a mindless killer or uh you know one of those movies that it's like supposed to feel like one of those gritty 70s exploitation flicks i don't like those all i want to see are monsters i love the classic ones, like, you know, even like Godzilla, King Kong, uh, Frankenstein, Vampire, Werewolf. It always seems like there's uh, a, a tragic side to the characters that makes you care. And it's not about the gore, really. Right. As I, I still like a movie. Even then, back when we were watching those stuff, I, I typically more liked more of the uh, movies that I'd be watching and they'd scare the crap out of me. That's what I got into. But... The mindless killing and stuff, I didn't really care much about. It was the, if it scared the living daylights out of me, <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I, there's something great and cathartic about fear. And, um, you know, for the people that don't know us that are listening to this, we started a movie night when we were, what, sophomores in high school? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'd get together once a month, which eventually turned into pretty much every single weekend <laughs> for a long time. 
And I do notice that if you look back at the horror movies that we really got into, um, they're usually like the fantastical. You know, they they had like good special effects and uh, crazy ideas. And I don't think we really glommed onto the ones that were like gore heavy. Like, oh, you got to see this, there's so much blood. That kind of stuff like turned me off. And uh, you, you, I think, were more into like, oh, I want to have, uh, I want the, the, the crap scared out of me. I just want to be wild, you know, more of adventure. Right. Because I'm a sensitive I, little boy and I get scared at the slightest thing. <laughs> you guys hated me because I had a knack for figuring out who did it. You did. Before and anyone else did. Wall, we'd be like three quarters of the way through the movie and we're getting to the, you know, the big reveal and we'd go, oh yeah, oh I know. Some, most of the time though, you kept it to yourself. But then when, yeah. it would, when it would happen, you would look at me and go, I knew it. <laughs> and I wasn't just making it up. There it wasn't was one, that guy. There was one series of horror movies. We're really off on a tangent here. But there's one series of horror movies that you were really into. And I, I understood the fantastical aspect of it was quite fascinating. But uh, the Hellraiser movies always just sickened me. They were so nasty. Right. I, uh, could, I always had trouble getting through them. Honestly, look, going back and looking at them now, watching them now, I'm not as into them as I used to be, but I still love Clive Barker. Yeah, I just want to see uh, And his... I think that's really the big reason I was into it is because it was him. Yeah, his but... ideas are amazing, but the execution's always like, oh, I want to go hurl now. Right. Uh, I tell you, go we're going on to uh, going to, and seeing the old movies, the old scary movies. Uh, we have a theater here in Franklin, Indiana. It's called the... Historic Art Craft Theater, and all they show old movies. Mm-hmm. That's all they do, and uh, or at least classic movies or something like those. Like for instance, they're showing Gremlins here in a little bit. That's cool. But uh, October sixteenth and seventeenth, they are showing The Bride of Frankenstein. I really need to go see that. Yeah, I've, I've but, been watching a lot of the older ones. They're a little rough to get through. The Mummy um, kind of bored the crap out of me, and the Creature from the Black Lagoon was a right. snoozer. They just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over, and I was like. People liked this, but each their own, you know. Some people really dig certain things. I'm a, I'm obsessed with '80s horror, you know. But some people right. think that's garbage and cheesy. <laughs> to each their own. So the monsters was a, a great way of making those classic monsters something you could relate to. It was like an open door into that world that once you got comfortable with the monsters maybe you could try something else maybe you would try the monster squad you would try uh fright night you know the lost boys it, it was kind of a slow progression into that horror world so maybe it wouldn't traumatize you right and you know i did forget one oh go ahead i was done i just i have this awkward thing and i apologize to anybody who does the show with me i have this obsession like i feel like i need to fill every single last inch of air with talking I never let it breathe, and I always seem to interrupt people. So I'm going to stop now and let Ron talk. Oh, you're fine, man. Well, it's hard when you got the lag. It's hard to know that. Oh, yeah, you just interrupted, and you didn't realize I was talking. So, but anyway, I I just realized I left out the other car of the show, and somebody out there is probably going to call me out on that. So I probably should say something about that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so Grandpa's car. Dragula. Okay, so Dragula. Anyway, <laughs> Anybody who's from our generation can't go hear that word and not sing that song in their head. Anyway, uh, so this car, also designed by, you guessed it, we need to give him a title. He's got like Sir, Sir Barris or yes, anyway. Master um, <laughs> Car Maker Barris. That's right. I should say, uh, where does it say that? Um, the guy that designed the car 
was a man named Tom Daniel. Actually, there was one other guy that worked on the uh, the coach, and I can't remember his name off the hand. But um, now George Barris's company built the car, and you know, obviously he had a large part in it. But the guy who designed its name was Tom Daniel. So, got to give a shout out to him. So, um, anyway, the Dragula. An interesting tidbit here: the fiberglass body of the car was a coffin. That's cool, right there, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, What's it say? Uh, Richard Corky Corks, I guess. I don't know who he is, to be honest. Uh, but he works with them, apparently, and was trying to purchase a coffin. And he said that it is illegal to sell a coffin without a death certificate. So Corky made a deal with the funeral director and paid in cash. And it was agreed that the coffin would be left outside the rear door of the funeral parlor where the Bears crew could collect it after dark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's creepy. What a great beginning to this car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this, this particular car was in the in the show was built to in order to win back the coach that Herman apparently lost in a bet or a drag race bet, whatever. Anyway, so he lost in a drag race, and Grandpa built on this car to win it back. Um, it had a 350 horsepower 289 uh, Mustang V8 at a four-speed stick shift. Two barrel, two four barrel carburetors on Mickey Thompson Ram thrust manifold, and of course it was built on a drag chassis. And it was, well, if you're into macabre stuff, this is the one that's got to be the best car you could ever own. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to get a better one. I say if you if you die in it, you're already in your coffin. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so okay, shout out to the Dragula. I'm done. All right, so I think that's it with us on the monsters. Any last words you want to say? Any last words you want to say? I can't do Lurch, sorry. <laughs> All right, speaking of Lurch, here's our second show, The Addams Family, and let's play a little bit of that classic theme song. The classic theme song that would injure myself, too. I'll tell you about that in a second because that was truly more fun. So obviously, that is one of the catchiest theme songs of all time. The reason I said I injured myself to that song is because in uh, seventh grade, I think it was seventh grade, I was in my math class, and for some reason, I think it was because they started playing it at baseball games. Uh, when you when you go to sports games, I guess now they, they on a regular basis they play that theme song, kind of get you revved up. Da 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 da. And uh, some of the kids were uh, doing that in class, and I was changing out the stapler. And I just put in a whole new stapler. line of staples, huh? Your stapler? Yeah, but stapler. Sorry. Clever red stapler. Uh, and I slammed it shut, but as I slammed it shut, they went da 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 da, and I went slam, slam. And uh, it took a couple seconds. I didn't notice. And then someone said, uh, Michael, your hand. And I go, what? And they go, your hand, you, uh, you might want to look at it. And I look at it, and I see two staples in there. And uh, I stop for a second. I stop breathing, and I start turning flush. And the teacher goes, oh, my God, let me get those out of your hand. And I go, no, <laughs> no. Like, leaving them in there was going to be better. I mean, uh, I'm sure eventually I got some sort of blood poisoning and die. But I, at that moment, I was like, no, 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 leave them there. Leave them there. Don't take them out. And I cried and I cried. And that set up the next year of torture. 
Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. Yes, I'm laughing okay. at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> this this gentleman who I am talking to right now has also seen me cry, which I think was the last time I cried, was when uh, we were camping, and you'll catch all this story in a previous episode called Camping Nerd Style of uh, Stumbling Towards Adulthood. The uh, I was going down a hill very fast, and I hit a mud pit, which sucked me in like quicksand. And I found myself desperately trying to get out. And when he finally heard me screaming, I was completely caked in mud, lost my shoes, completely lost my socks. They're still out there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> he looks at me. He starts laughing. For some reason, I start crying. And I have... Uh, he, he never made fun of me for that, so I'll give him that. And he never made fun of me for that. And if I was in the opposite direction, I would have been laughing too if you had been caught in the mud because it's so surprising that it just that's the first <laughs> reaction you can think of. And uh, he never he never reminded me of it again. So uh, thank you. That's why we're still friends. Just, just the mud part, not the crying part. Oh, my God. And then fast forward 10 minutes later when I'm completely in my underwear because being still in my clothes was somehow colder than being uh, <laughs> almost naked. <clears throat> All right, so that's that, all right. We story. had a ten foot fire thanks to, thanks to David Brock. Yes, and uh, our the fact that he, uh, Yes, uh, <laughs> loved loved the flame. Loved the flame. Uh, that kept me very warm until I dried off and got new clothes. That's right. All right, back on the agenda, the Adams family. This one I don't like as much as the monsters. I enjoyed the movies very very much, but the TV yeah. show itself to me for some reason I cannot connect to it, and I don't know why. I think. I don't know. I had the same issue with. Honestly, I watched all of them. Uh, I remember watching it re just as religiously as I watched the monsters. But I don't. I don't know. I think there was a lot more comedic timing and what have you in, in the monsters. It's a little less, a little more sillier in the monsters, I yeah. guess. Maybe that's why. I, think, I don't know. I think but the Adams family is a little drier, and yeah. it's kind of you got to lock in with their mood, their tone, or you never right. get into it. Right. Uh, now that being said, I still loved it. I just not as much. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also the monster aspect. I think part of it's nostalgia for those classic monsters, whereas the Adams family is just like a, a weirdo family. Right. No, I right. love I love Uncle Fester. How could you not love Uncle Fester? He's so strange. <laughs> oh my gosh. <clears throat> anyway. So, yeah, this started off as a comic strip in the New Yorker and eventually got turned into a series. It also lasted only two. Uh, it doesn't really say why it got canceled. You know, like there was any stiff competition. I think it was just another one of those of-the-moment shows that faded away really fast. I had read it somewhere, one of the videos I was watching about it, it said something about it died out about the same time as the Monsters did, which tells me, I don't know, it could have been the same reasons. or pretty close to it. But It, it can be a, a whole nation shift in tone. They can be, uh, yep. for just a short period of time, they're really into macabre. And then uh, two years later, they're into, uh, what, what, what would you call the Batman, the 60s series? Would you call it uh, cheeky, uh, purposely cheesy? I don't, I don't, I love the show. There, You can't deny the, the entertainment factor of the 60s show. But you know, when Tim Burton's movie came out, everybody crapped on that show, but I stuck to it. So yeah, the, uh, the 60s series, I always thought it was something, it was a unique beast. It was something of its time, but it wasn't garbage, and a lot of people really crapped all over it, and I don't know why. Why do a lot of these 60s series people only look back with, um, oh, that's so simple and cheesy? They can't admire it for what it really was. Right. 
I don't know. It, it seems like their move into the 70s, a lot of stuff became, it was either really a dark, you know, dramas or what have you, or really, uh, I don't know, purposeful dramas, but, or really cheesy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Disco era. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, oh, the jiggle factor in, um, like, Love Boat yeah. and Charlie's Angels and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. I don't know. I could be way off on that, too, but. Yeah, but I'm sure for I know, they said everything that we don't like, there's someone out there that likes it and vice versa. So sometimes it's hard to criticize anything uh, without, like, insulting someone else. Right. So we apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I say the Adams Family is garbage. No, it's uh, uh, the funny thing about the Adams Family, it obviously touched a nerve because even after the show ended, it had a second life. It... Uh, <laughs> and I'm not talking about the movie. That's funny. I didn't mean that as a pun. Uh, it re- was revived as an animated series about uh, right. five, six years later. I remember there used to be the Scooby-Doo movies. Do you remember those? Like the hour-long episodes? Yep. And Batman yep. showed up, Don Adams, uh, Sonny and Cher, the Harlem Globe Tropper, uh, Troppers, Trotters. <laughs> the Harlem Globe Choppers. They're, they transformed into helicopters, and they became Airwolf. <laughs> Sweet. And they, and they, you know what? It's really easy to slam dunk a basketball when you're in a helicopter. True. Uh, but the Adams Family is probably the most successful of all those episodes, and they ended up on the cartoon the next season. But a lot of people don't realize that Hanna Barbera, um, you know, they they ran both they had the Adams Family show and the Scooby Doo, and it just seemed like it was beneficial for them to license the rights to a lot of those characters, and they got a second career out of it. Oh, I, don't... I watched the, I just honestly, I, I just remembered that there was a cartoon because I just looked it up and I, before we started the show, I was watching a couple episodes um, as I was getting ready. I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of the cartoons, to be honest. Yeah, it's a unique beast. Uh, actually, last week's episode, well, technically, as we talk right now, it'll probably air in a couple days. Um, we did Beetlejuice and the Addams Family cartoon um, for our Halloween special. And I did find the cartoon also just something I couldn't get into the tone of it. I don't know why it is I like the movie so much, but when it comes to the, sh- the TV version, um, I just can't lock in. Mm-hmm. Some say that, and I guess there's some argument on this, on whether or not the cartoon was actually based off of the comic strip. I mean, obviously the art is, but you listen to the voice, the voices and stuff, they're trying a lot to sound like the TV show. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe they're just drawn from both, but I don't know. Well, I thought it was strange that some of these, some of the cartoons that were adapted from TV shows, for the most part, they got the original cast, like the Star Trek one. But uh, right. I always thought it was strange that they got two different actors to play Batman and Robin on the Scooby-Doo. Like, why is Casey Kasem doing Robin? Why couldn't they get Burt Ward? Did they not want to do the cartoon at the time? They wanted to separate themselves from Batman and Robin? I, 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 there's, I don't know if there's a story out there that explains that, but it always bugs me. Right. It's an interesting tidbit on the on the cartoon that Jodie Foster this is the only name I know. That doesn't mean there's any other names that aren't big, but it's the only name I recognized. Was Jodie Foster did the voice of Pugsley, Which, or at yeah, least for a few of the episodes. Yeah, real early in her career that popped up, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, well, I and mean, I think she's done some other voiceover work as well, but... yeah. I didn't realize that there, I didn't even notice until the very moment I'm looking at this right now, there was a second Adams Family series um, in the late 90s. It was, uh, I think, on, yeah, on the Family Channel. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I have no memory of this whatsoever. It, it looks like it only lasted one year, so maybe people were like, nah, that's okay. I have a vague memory of it, and I remember it. It's probably the same reason it died so quickly. It wasn't the original. You know, it was nothing. Nobody could replace them. Right. You know, put it in cartoon form, fine, but another live action just didn't cut it. The one thing that I think most people remember from the TV series was the madness behind John Aston's eyes, the, the the sinister grin, something that he would carry for his entire career, and it's really, really hard to replace him because even in the movies, as great as Raul Julia is, he doesn't have that insanity behind his eyes, which made Gomez so entertaining. Whereas Tim Curry... Does have the madness, but that movie was Does terrible. have the madness. Did you ever watch it? It was absolutely awful, and he had a British accent. I'm like, and if he was trying to hide it, I don't, I don't remember much about the movie. The little bit I watched just a minute ago, or earlier today, um, he had a, it sounded like he was, had a British accent, but then it also sounded like he was trying to cover it over, and like, wasn't doing a great job at it. And then Tim Curry should be able to do that. Right, right. Uh, so. Tim Curry is one of those guys that always swings for the fences. No matter what his performance is, it can be yep. howlingly bad, or it can be absolutely genius, but he's always trying something different. To this day, mm -hmm. it still stuns me that he's in Legend, that he plays yep. the villain. You just look at it going, seriously? He's in all what? of that? That's his performance? No kidding. Yeah. And uh, there's one thing that there's a joke. He, I want to say it was a Wing Commander game, or maybe it was Red uh, Command & Conquer. Yeah, I think it was Command & Conquer. Like, it was a futuristic version of it, and it's one of those... You remember when video games would have, like, little chunks that were live video? Mm hmm And they would get, like, these, like, BC-level actors to show up, and, like, Malcolm McDowell and Mark Hamill and stuff like that. And uh, he's in one of those, and his acting is truly the most astonishingly bad thing. I want to go back somehow and play this game because I want to see his performance in full, and it just... I'll, I'll send you a clip. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a Command & Conquer spinoff where it's set in space, and it's just mm, deliciously awful. <laughs> I can believe it. Well, he, he does bad so well. Yeah, he uh, sometimes he's really on, and sometimes he's so off that it almost makes it more enjoyable than it could have been. <laughs> right. And that's not to say, we're not saying Tim Curry's bad. Don't, don't get us wrong here. <laughs> no, no. But a lot of great actors, they do go too big or way too low, and then you're just like, what happened here? I mean, Nicolas Cage mm. almost does that on a regular basis, and it's highly enjoyable <laughs> for me. Uh, the uh, this series almost got rebooted a couple years ago. Tim Burton was going to co-write and co-produce it, and uh, they had acquired like the animation design, and it just it got canceled a couple years ago, which bummed me out because I really wanted to see his take on the series. I think he could really have done a good job with it. It might come back around. I, it just depends on who has the rights and if they're willing to let him take control. Can we see a Tim Curry stop-motion version? <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. Now, there's been uh, some video games of this. Of course, a lot of it's based on the movies. Do you remember the original movie, how everybody went crazy for it? It played at our theater. We had one theater in town, people. One theater. And I think it played for a month straight. And uh, that was very, very rare back then to even get a movie for two weeks. And it played for so long, it was crazy. No? You don't remember that? I don't. Sorry, I got silent there, didn't I? Oh. <laughs> I don't feel all the... Anyway, uh, no, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, the, the only thing that replaced it was Hook. And uh, that was there for another month, too. But the one thing I always take away from the Adams Family is the MC Hammer song. That video was so expensive. <laughs> 
Oh, was that? Yeah, do as we do. We do as we do. We're the Island of Tambali. Yeah. Yeah. And then he came back the next year with, too legit. Too legit. Oh, you guys don't like me anymore? Oh. Like, we got cold to MC Hammer pretty fast. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Uh, one of the <clears> video <throat> games that I remember the most, though, from the franchise was actually before the movies. It was Fester's Quest, one of the hardest mm-hmm. games ever made. But it's so fascinating to watch. What was it on? It was on the NES. It just had a big old yeah, picture of, of Fester. He had a spider on his face. And uh, the the design of the, the game itself was really good. It's just insanely hard. It made you want to punch. It's one of those games where we made you snap the controller in half. <laughs> Which was pretty easy to do. Yeah, back then they were pretty flimsy controller. Can you believe that we just we were, we were okay with like a little square? You know, it wasn't yeah. ergonomic in any way. We're just like, yeah, sure, it's really uncomfortable. But I get to play video games. Yeah, you just ended up with holes indented in the bottom of your hands, but you're good. All right, so I think we've hit the end of this episode. Of the two, I would say check out the monsters, but honestly, watch both. You never know what what you'll be uh, more interested in. Definitely. And is there anything you want to say about it before we go? Uh, I apologize to all of you out there. I don't have much on the car in this vehicle. It wasn't really prevalent in the show, to be honest, so... But uh, it do, did find out it was a 1933 Packard 12. That's about all the information can, I can find on it. So if you want to look it up on Wiki or whatever, you'll, you'll get a plethora of information on the car itself. But not their car. And if anybody knows, please, you know, when this gets posted, put it in the comments, a place where I could find more information on it. I would love to see it. So. Yeah, I, you know what's funny is I almost closed the show without going to the car part. What's the point of the show? I forgot it's called Full Throttle TV. I'm a dope. <laughs> I drink too much. Uh, we try to... Some of the shows we have a lot of information on, but some of it's a little hard, especially on the older ones where, you know, the information wasn't just plastered out there on the internet for everybody to read. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of places like solely devoted to uh, Adam's Family or the Monsters. And... We try to just go outside of just talking about the vehicles, you know, try to explore the whole realm of the show or movie that we're discussing. And uh, so I apologize if we ever let you down for the episode. You're welcome. Anytime. Uh, yeah, anytime. You're, you're, you've seen Predator, correct? I have. Okay, so you know that part where he puts the knife on the scorpion on his shoulder and takes it off? And he's like, oh, oh, thanks, man. He goes, anytime. <laughs> I, love, I whisper that to people sometimes. They're like, are you going to murder me now? Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just look at him and smile with the big white eyes and <laughs> let's end, end let's end this episode right with a little mc hammer adam's family groove hey, hey, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute you don't mean this right just kidding right just kidding just kidding okay we don't Okay, everybody. Did we actually think that song was awesome at one time? Seriously, that was awful. We and that's back did at one. That's when we thought MC Hammer was cool too. <laughs> so, uh, all right. For the actual end, goodbye. Keep the shiny shut up. <laughs> yeah.